This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Thousands of migrants continue to make their way to Denver in hopes of building a new life. Now that they're here, many are facing new problems like finding permanent homes and jobs. And while there are jobs available, some red tape is making it difficult for them to enter the workforce. This week, we're taking a look at the migrant crisis. We share what the city is doing to meet immediate needs and how nonprofits are helping fill the gap in resources. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, we're exploring the ongoing migrant crisis and how it's affecting Denver. In May, Title 42, a public health order put in place during the pandemic, expired. The order allowed the government to block thousands of people from entering the United States. Within weeks of the policy order ending, thousands of migrants came into Denver. So far, the city has served 13,000 people and has spent at least $21 million since December, with the state spending at least $10 million. And amid calls for migrants to become self-sufficient, the majority of them can't find jobs. But that doesn't mean work isn't being done to get them employed. Denver 7's Angelica Albadalejo has an in-depth look at what Colorado is doing to help migrants build a better life. They just need to get the work done. And Jesus Chuy Medrano knows what it takes. He's owned the Cocal Landscaping Company for more than 30 years. Even though the economy is kind of tough, we're succeeding. We find ways to become more efficient, especially with good hands. Good hands are hard to come by, though. Over the years, Chewy has relied more on foreign workers, like Jose Manuel, Roberto, and Jay. It's a privilege to come each year, work, and then return to our home country. They come back year after year thanks to H-2B visas, one of the United States' almost two dozen types of temporary work authorizations. More than half of Colorado's H-2B workers are landscapers. Most others work in housekeeping, construction, ski resorts, and hotels. It's to be, I hope, that never goes away. Right now, Colorado's labor market is the tightest it's ever been. For every unemployed Colorado, there are almost three open jobs. That's part of why inflation is so high. It also has Colorado missing out on $46 billion in GDP this year, according to the Common Sense Institute. That's why many of Colorado's top officials are calling on the U.S. government to give out more temporary work authorizations. Denver's new mayor, Mike Johnston, says. We have people in this country who want to work. We have businesses who want to hire them. And we have a federal government who won't get out of the way to let those employers hire those people who want to get to work. In May, Governor Jared Polis and our senators, John Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett, asked the Department of Homeland Security to give out more work authorizations faster. While some critics say temporary work programs weaken protections for American workers, lower their wages and reduce their job opportunities. The discussion is difficult to understand. Alexandre Padilla, an economist at Metropolitan State University of Denver, says migrants generally benefit our economy. Temporary workers take jobs that Americans don't want to do for the price, for the wages offered. Padilla said temporary workers don't collect benefits or unemployment, but... Temporary workers do pay taxes like American citizens. But bringing in more temporary workers isn't up to Colorado. 
It's up to Congress or the Biden administration. The way it works now, asylum seekers need to wait at least 180 days, roughly half a year, before they can get permission to work. And other temporary work programs like H-2B limit how many workers companies can hire each year. It's a win-win. Colorado business owners like Chewy are holding out hope that more work authorizations are coming soon. If I get more hands, reporting from Denver, then I'm going to do more business. I'm Angelica Albaladejo for Denver 7. You know, it's easy to say, why don't the migrants work? Well, right. so many of them want to work. Yeah. Every single migrant I've interviewed has said, I want to work, but yeah. there's so much red tape. There really is. All right. We're joined now by Casey Harlos with Mile High United Way. Casey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. What are some factors that make it hard for migrants to find jobs here? I know we just mentioned red tape. Yeah, it's, it's definitely really difficult. You're thinking about... Um, families and individuals that are coming here that don't know anyone, right? And they don't understand the landscape of our culture and our society. And um, and there's so much to that. Um, in addition to that, you're also thinking about language barriers, uh, transportation. Um, as we've seen and you said earlier, thousands of migrants have come to Colorado looking for help. And oftentimes they're on a bus here. So then we're also thinking how do you get around and get to different resources? How do you even know what resources are available in the community to be able to help you? Um, and, and what does that look like immediately? And then also, what does that look like for the long term? Um, I cannot imagine how people um, and families are coming here uh, on their own and then don't have that family support or don't have the community support. Um, and I, I think that that's going to be essential for us in lifting people up. And it's a, it's a long road we have ahead. Now, the United Way's mission is so wide in scope. You're, <laughs> you do a little bit of a lot of things, right? So so what is it specifically about your mission that is directly tied to uh, helping migrants when they come to Denver? It's a really great question. Um, I love what I'm when I'm talking to different partners to ask. You've heard of United Way, but do you know what we do? And oftentimes right. it's like, oh, yeah, it's hard. Um, I think that depended, dependent upon the United Way, um, our goal, because uh, we are nationwide, um, is to focus on the greatest needs within that specific community. So when you're looking at United Ways in Michigan or New York, uh, that might look very different. Their impact and their focuses and priorities uh, compared to Denver and Colorado's United Way and what we do here, because it is based on what the community needs most. So that does change. Um, I think right now, um, our 211 Help Center um, is the main focus for how we are stepping up to support migrants and immigrants or our newcomers um, in Colorado um, and making that connection to resources. As I mentioned to your first question, um, thinking about um, how people connect to resources or even know what's available in our community, what free resources there are that they can access, the food pantry closest to the shelter that they're, they're staying at, um, or wherever they get placed for transitional housing, trying to figure out what resources are accessible within walking distance, and then also a ride or transportation to those resources. Our 211 Help Center um, is really, you think of 211, that three-digit phone number that anyone can dial for help in the state of Colorado. Um, and in doing so, we're going to really work with that individual to figure out what resources are available based on where they're located and what they need most. We're talking to them not only to meet that initial need, such as a food pantry or a hot meal tonight, or maybe they get put into housing. And then how are they getting home goods? How are they going to cook that food? Um, so we're trying to connect them to incredible services because there are a lot of them. 
um, to really be able to meet those needs and then also say what's next and how can we help you along your journey um, and continue that conversation. As we heard in Angelica's piece, migrants are literally standing on street corners asking for work, hoping for work. Uh, What is United Way doing to try to place them in jobs? Are you working with partner agencies? Are you acting as an intermediary? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think I heard you say earlier too, like advocating in the policy work behind ensuring that um, our migrants and newcomers can get access to jobs. So to jobs, um, I think within 211 and being able to dial our phone number, we're, we are connecting to uh, legal services, connecting individuals and families to employment services, a lot of employment preparedness, um, thinking about what jobs are available and how would they be able to access those in a safe way, um, I think is really important and something we're working on Um, additionally housing, right? Because that's the next step. Um, And they go hand in hand. Those are the two big critical things, employment and housing. And so um, I think Mile High United Way has been truly spectacular in finding the right partners, which it does take a village, right? We're a tiny, tiny puzzle piece in this huge, not 300, but 3,000, 5,000 piece puzzle um, of partners and agencies that all are going to have to work together to make this work. Um, but we have worked on some housing partnerships and are working on in, uh, housing individuals and families. Um, and so that's been really special to watch and see and be a part of. All right. Yeah. Well, Casey Harlos with United Way, thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. Thank you. We're just getting started with this Real Talk about the migrant crisis. Going somewhere new can be difficult, especially when it's so drastically different than what you're used to. Coming up, we're talking to an organization that's providing resources so migrants can have an easier time transitioning to life in Denver. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. The city of Denver provides weekly updates on the support given to migrants coming into the city. It's helped dozens to now nearly 1,000 people at a time, and thousands more are getting support from the city. That's cost Denver more than $23 million so far. Yeah, so to break down exactly where that money is going and how you can help, we want to welcome Evan Dreyer of the city of Denver. Evan, thanks so much for being with us today. You're very welcome, Micah. Well, Evan, we see all of this money coming from local and federal governments. What's that money going towards? I know that question is on a lot of minds. Yeah, I think Nathan just mentioned the dollar amount, 23 million that has been spent so far on Denver's response. Uh, It's uh, closer to 24 million uh, as of today. Uh, Almost 55% of that um, we expect to be reimbursable by both the state and the federal governments. So that, that's very helpful. 55% uh, is a significant amount to be reimbursed. Where is that money going? Um, great question. Primarily, the, the biggest chunks are um, for the shelter facilities. And right now we are using two hotels um, and, one, and one church. And it, it costs money to rent out the hotel rooms. Personnel is another big cost. Uh, we have to staff those shelter facilities as well. And then there are other categories of funding. Um, Food is another big uh, category of expense for us. Transportation, and then the things that we might not think about, janitorial services. Uh, All of those add up to that 
23.7, almost $24 million. You also asked for help from neighboring cities. Why is that? Is Denver not able to do everything it wants to do? I mean, are you looking for money and support services from other communities? All of the above. Um, but it, this is an expensive effort, uh, and it is a heavy lift when it comes to staff support. So we have been looking for um, both financial support and uh, other kinds of assistance from surrounding cities. While uh, folks who are coming up, up from the border are primarily landing in Denver, they're not, they're not all staying in Denver. They are uh, settling around the metro area and in some cases around the state as well. So um, to the extent that we can entice other communities to help, um, we're, we're still trying to do that. Absolutely. Now that we're several months into the cancellation of Title 42, would you still consider this a migrant crisis for Denver? Micah, that is an excellent question. Um, Nobody likes a yes and no answer, but I think the answer to your question is yes and no. Certainly for the folks who are coming up, many of whom have traveled for months and, and left really difficult circumstances and had really difficult journeys to get here. Um, arriving with nothing, I think for them, still makes this a crisis. I think for for city government, for Denver city government, um, we have probably shifted from from crisis or emergency at, at the moment to something more akin to standard operating. This is it's new work for us. This prior to December of last year, this is not something that we did at this scale, um, and and that was. Um, difficult to absorb, um, at, which is why we activated the Emergency Operations Center and um, declared a state of emergency. That Those conditions are stable now, um, and we are handling the situation as best as we can. Um, so in that regard, I would say no, it's not. Um, but the situation can change. It's been very fluid. Uh, what we saw in December and January what we saw again in May and June, where we saw significantly um, increased numbers of folks coming here, um, those that made it feel like it was a crisis. What we're experiencing today, not so much. So is the emergency center now closed, at least in regards to, to the migrants coming to Denver? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and there's not an emergency declaration in place either. Got it. Now, we, we hear the word crises, migrant crisis, but there's also a homeless crisis going on in Denver. Is, are the two kind of going hand in hand? Are you seeing that? Uh, they definitely intersect, and there's some overlap that occurs. Um, and there has been some impact on the homeless shelter system. Um, but we're, we're doing, uh, I think, a, a good job of trying to keep um, those these two uh, situations um, separate. A big question I know on a lot of minds as well. How can people in the community help migrants coming into a, into Colorado? I know there are a lot of communities, a lot of individuals who want to know how to do their part. Yeah, also a great question. Um, a couple of different ways. One, there is a, a new fund called the Newcomers Fund, um, which was stood up early on um, at the very beginning of this year, and that fund is accepting private donations. And then those dollars are being distributed to the local community-based organizations and nonprofits that are helping, uh, helping us and the state uh, with this effort as well. So um, direct contributions to the Newcomers Fund. Um, there are a handful of nonprofits 
um, that are doing the work and di direct donations to them uh, is also helpful. Um, we are still collecting donations, um, things like clothing um, and other types of supplies. Um, and then if people want to uh, sign up and volunteer or offer services, they can do that too. And those opportunities all exist on the uh, denvergov.org website. Evan Dreyer with the City of Denver, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. You're very welcome. Thank you both. Evan Dreyer is with the City of Denver. We're just getting started with this real talk about the migrant crisis. Denver has been keeping us up to date on the crisis and how it's being handled and how much it's spending to do it. Coming up, we'll explore how the city's money is being spent and what you can do to help the migrants come to Denver. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Many migrants coming into Denver are coming here without the resources to help them navigate this new environment. One organization is working to change that and help them feel more at home in the Mile High City. We're joined now by Rudy Gonzalez of Servicios de la Raza. Thank you so much for being here, Rudy. Thank you. So what is the first thing? People ask when they walk through your door, they're a migrant, they maybe just got up a bus or just came to the city. What do they ask you when they first step in? Uh, you know, they're usually in crisis. And uh, the first thing is uh, about housing. Second thing is food, uh, toiletries, essential services. And then the third is job. Where can we get some work? When you say that they're in crisis, do you say, I'm going to give you a hug or I'm going to like, you know, touch, you know, some, it seems to me that there, there's such a system that people have to follow that that first 20, 30 minutes, you, you got to just be like, it's okay, you're here and we're going to help you out. Well, I think our mission at Cerritos uh, states the best to provide an advocate for culturally responsive, yeah. essential human services and opportunities. Yeah. It's very inclusive. Uh, it talks about cultural responsivity, uh, responsiveness, and that just means uh, meeting everybody from our migrant, our community people, anyone who needs help that walks through our doors, uh, all the way to senators or presidents with the same dignity and respect. Yeah. Absolutely. My next question is a big one because Servicios does a lot, but talk to us about some of what you offer at Servicios. I know with the migrant crisis you mentioned, toiletries, immediate housing, things like that, but your organization covers a lot more bases than that. Right. We're, we are uh, right now, at, I would say we're the largest Latino one-stop shop in the, in, in the state in terms of human services. We've been a licensed uh, behavioral health clinic, uh, community clinic, uh, since 1972, since our founding. We're 51 years old. Uh, we are statewide now. We have a brick and mortar in Pueblo with four programs uh, running now in Pueblo inside uh, just over a year ago, we opened over there. And we've, uh, we've had, we've been very fortunate to build capacity there in Pueblo, which has a large Latino population, uh, Pueblo County, El Paso County, Otero, Huerfano. But here in Denver and Denver Metro, you know, this is where we were born in North Denver in 1972, founded by Chicano. Activists and community members, still led by a Chicano mm -hmm. activists and community member. And, uh, you know, that's the spirit in which we move. Uh, we uh, move in a way that uh, we define uh, we are community. We're the community 
uh, we, you know, which we serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, our staff now at uh, over 110 staff, and uh, many of them are, uh, we have DACA on our staff. We have many who were migrants who came undocumented many years ago as children, as babies. Uh, our vice president of health and wellness came from Argentina at 11 years old, grew up in Park Hill, went to East High School. Yeah, She's an angel, <laughs> and she is more than that because the work she does is amazing. And the services she provides to our communities is amazing. So you work in this community, represent this community. Uh, we talk a lot about the funding that is flowing into the city. From a from a city government standpoint, what are some of the biggest hurdles you see when migrants come together, uh, specifically about this funding? There's a lot of money flowing in. Are you are you seeing that? No, and I will say that right now. We are serving through uh, our other grants that allow us to serve. Uh, migrants and in essential services in uh, housing. Now uh, we did receive some state funding in in April, and with that, uh, since May, we have uh, housed over 300 migrants and their families across Denver Metro, uh, which is amazing work for our staff that they did this. We are getting uh, migrants jobs, and so they could sustain that housing. Uh, we have. Uh, we are providing them food and providing food security, clothing, uh, work boots, uh, you know, work apparel so they can get to work. And uh, so they are ready for the bus vouchers and uh, so they can get transportation and, and get to those jobs or get to the house, right? And uh, But we have not seen the millions that have come in uh, as a community organization of color. And I would say that that's one of the issues uh, at the city and state level is the contracting methods. They call it a crisis where then what they need to do is contract and not put out RFAs, which for people that don't know, don't know that's a uh, application that you have to write out and, and, and type out and craft and put together with an extensive budget, budget narrative, and get that out. You wait around for months then you got to get it executed. If it's above a certain amount, you got to take it to city council to get a vote on. Uh, by the time you get dollars to the street, it could be five to seven to nine months. Hmm. And a crisis is happening now. So, Rudy, what I'm hearing is migrants are facing red tape and you're facing red tape sure. as well. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. We could, of course, talk with you all day, um, but I appreciate all that your organization is doing in the city and for our migrants. Thank you. Rudy Gonzalez is with Servicios de la Raza. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.